everyone, you're listening to Refugees on Air. This is our sixth episode with author and refugee from Afghanistan, Asan Daleri. How are you, Asan? I'm good. Thank you very much. That's, That's good. good. We're really glad to have you here. We've yep. kind of taken a bit of a short break from Refugees on Air, but yep. we're back and we're back and better. Yes. <laughs> you're our sixth refugee that we've had the pleasure to interview. So let's get things started. How would you describe your life back in Kabul in Afghanistan? Well, thank you for inviting me to the <laughs> studios uh, today. And, That's okay. Uh, you know, if I know that you're at school and you're taking your time yeah. to yeah. do this. This is really great. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I used to work in an NGO, yep. which is the, you know, not-for-profit organization, yep. Yep. helping uh, communities in um, 12 provinces of Afghanistan. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was one of the main planners of uh, that organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you went and you studied in Pakistan and Ireland, isn't that, is that correct? Yeah. In 1992, when uh, the situation became really unsafe, mm-hmm. yep. um, and there was war going on uh, in Kabul, mm-hmm. so um, a lot of people had to leave mm-hmm. Afghanistan for obvious reasons, because yep. of safety. So we, m- we went to Pakistan where I studied and uh, then in 2003 when the situation became peaceful in Afghanistan I yep. uh, came back mm-hmm. uh, along with my family of course and yep. uh, you know later I got a scholarship and I went to Ireland to mm-hmm. do my masters. Right. Yes. And uh, what did you specialize in in your masters? The course was international development and um, mm-hmm. yep. I had to do a thesis um, to qualify for uh, my master's. Yeah. So I, you know, I specialized in uh, livelihood mm-hmm. and I chose uh, a topic which was the alternative livelihood. As you know, I chose saffron mm-hmm. as an alternative to opium. That was the thesis mm-hmm. or the theme of my thesis that I was completing. Yeah. And wha- why did you decide to write about that specific topic? Well, there were so many options that I could write my thesis on because, you know, the work that I did back home was quite varied and uh, mm-hmm. we had a few focus areas. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, as you know, Afghanistan, uh, unfortunately, is one of the prime producers of uh, opium. Mm-hmm. And there are many, many farmers who would like to have, uh, you know, a means that is a means of livelihood that is uh, viable, that is legal, and uh, that is acceptable. Yeah. But there aren't many uh, opportunities for them. So I, I, w- I was thinking about it, and I was reading a lot about that area, and I thought, if I could uh, do a bit of contribution in that space, mm-hmm. uh, that would be really good. And uh, not only I achieved my masters, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but also, you know, uh, along. Uh, side that I would be able to help some farmers mm-hmm. uh, make that move. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Why did you decide to come to Australia to present your thesis? I was invited for the Parliament of the World's Religions, mm-hmm. and I was working. I, I was presenting actually on conflict management, and um, mm-hmm. you know the uh, focus of my presentation was conflict resolution from the Islamic perspective, yep. and also the um, cultural aspects of our culture mm-hmm. that uh, involved conflict management and conflict resolution. Yep. So that is uh, that's how I was invited to come and present um, our work actually yep. there in that conference. Yep. So do you want to talk a little bit about why you couldn't go back to Kabul when you were in Australia presenting your work? As, as I mentioned earlier, I think the type of work that I used to do mm-hmm. uh, 
put me under great risk. Yeah. Not only me, there were many, many people uh, working in that space yeah. who were risking their lives because um, there were so many people who were not you know, happy about what I was promoting and what mm-hmm. um, I was doing. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, that put me in a precarious situation. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, also the type of work that I used to do in that organization in the provinces or areas that we used to work with people put me under great uh, risk. Yeah. So these are some of the reasons that I actually could not go back, although I really wanted, but you know, mm-hmm. my family and my friends advised me that I should wait yep. and yep. Uh, that's why I couldn't go back and I waited uh, for a few months and I really wanted to go back mm-hmm. but um, you know you were advised not to yeah yeah and yep. um, that was when you were granted asylum in Australia is that correct when you had to stay here yeah look I had three months visa I could yep. stay uh, here so I stayed uh, for three months and I didn't decide to lodge my application for yep. asylum yep. because I, I was hopeful that I would return. But yep. since that did not happen, I had no option but to mm-hmm. lodge my uh, mm-hmm. application for seeking asylum here in Australia. It must have been heartbreaking to not be able to go back to your home country. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, initially uh, I just thought, okay, sometimes you make a decision Mm. Um, due to you know circumstances, sometimes you you're obliged to uh, make yep. that decision. So uh, I made that decision. Then all of a sudden, I sat back and I realized that oh, what I have lost, you know, uh, yep. all yep. the network that I had, my mm. job, and here I landed somewhere that I had very little things to know about, and yep. also yep. Uh, not many people that I knew, and yeah, yeah. no family. It was extremely hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, how long did you stay um, in Australia for without any family? From 2010 up to 2013. So okay. four years I was away from my family. Okay. And you applied for them to come to Australia, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. And how, how did you feel like that moment that the application was granted and you like saw them for the first time after four years? Uh, I was able to go back to Pakistan where they uh, oh, yep. they yep. were there. So I used to visit them each year, mm-hmm. you know, in that four-year yep. period. But when I uh, went for the final time to bring them here, it was mm-hmm. extremely joyous for me. Yep. And That's a right. great yep. moment in my life because I would be reunited yep. with my children. Yes. What difficulties did you face when you were being granted asylum in Australia? When I was... Uh, uh, applying for my, you know, asylum and the application was uh, under process. Mm-hmm. Uh, situation uh, when it comes to asylum seeking situation, mm-hmm. it wasn't even close to what is happening at the moment. That's mm-hmm. right. It was tough. It was not easy. I had all these worries in mm-hmm. back of my mind, like yep. if my application is uh, refused, what mm-hmm. am I going to do? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a major source of worry. Yep. But uh, since you know. M- my case was uh, quite evident. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything um, that I did was—I don't think it was an issue for me to to prove that I was really under immense risk. Yep. Uh, but it was extremely hard. I went into depression, uh, yep. and I, of course, being away from your, your family, family yep. friends, and mm. having nothing to do, mm-hmm. uh, having come from a very active and busy life back yep. home to a situation where literally you you don't have anything to do. Yeah. It's extremely hard. Yep. 
So let's get talking about the work that you decided to do here in Australia. What inspired you to write Raised in Conflict Growing Up in Afghanistan? Look, when I came here and uh, I saw the situation of refugees, but also mm-hmm. I met a lot of people who had very little idea about life of uh, refugees and mm-hmm. asylum seekers. Yep. And uh, I thought it would be a good idea to record some of the moments of my life yep. and also share it with the uh, people yep. that are interested in um, you know in reading Learning about, about yep. in exploring about life of uh, refugees and asylum seekers mm-hmm. but also i wanted to leave a legacy for my children mm-hmm. uh, so that you know when they grow up you know they read and they understand that how their father uh, traveled along the journey of life uh, yep. but also learn you know whatever they see um, at the moment comes you know the the sources there you know and because uh, i mentioned quite a lot about my childhood yep. where i grew up yep. that would hopefully help my children understand and appreciate life back uh, home uh, yep. in my first home afghanistan yep. and it will be a source of uh, learning for them and for other people yes as well. definitely yeah. so how can our listeners buy your book well, actually, I ran out of uh, that, I, uh, and I uh, uh, all copies are sold out. I'm thinking of uh, writing the second uh, episode of that book. Uh, yeah. That book really focused on uh, my life in uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. But the second um, episode of that would focus on my life in here. Yes. That's why I'm daily dallying uh, mm. on not reprinting the book mm-hmm. so i have all the notes and and so on it's just a matter of time that i mm-hmm. get it, it together. so that yeah, yeah. put it together oh, in, that in would be so good yeah, yeah what are you gonna call the next chapter it's raised in conflict part two yes <laughs> <laughs> so good <laughs> do it raised in conflict um living in australia now yeah so yeah <laughs> that's cool so what work or volunteer positions have you done so far in australia I started actually my uh, career here in Australia as a volunteer Mm -hmm. uh, because it was extremely hard to get into employment here because everyone was asking about so-called local experience, although I had many, many years of work experience. Mm -hmm. So I started a volunteer work with a few organizations uh, here in Australia. Then I also volunteered with some local community organizations. I started working uh, as a volunteer with Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, and I also worked as a volunteer uh, with uh, Asylum Seekers Resource Resource Center, with the Crisis Hub, uh, Humanitarian Crisis Hub. Now Mm. they are called uh, Diaspora uh, Action Australia. I worked as a volunteer with the Imam Ali Islamic Center. And we also a group of uh, volunteers um, Mm. visiting and um, making contacts with asylum seekers in detention centers. And we go and visit them during certain occasions. Mm -hmm. So these are, they are still continuing uh, some of my volunteer work, but uh, you know, uh, I got kids, and you know, if you have kids, r- life gets really busy. So yeah. <laughs> I had to cut back on my mm-hmm. volunteer work, yep. but I still do a lot of work with um, a group that I mentioned. The the volunteer positions and everything that you've done is that inspired you because of your own experience when you came here? Yeah, uh, look, um, volunteer work that I just mentioned. I went through that situation and that phase of life. I really appreciated people and the volunteers who provided support to me while Mm -hmm. I was seeking asylum. Mm -hmm. And I uh, thought, how should I... Pay them back. Yeah, pay them back. But also, how should I be someone that could uh, have that inspiring role and that uh, Mm -hmm. supportive role? And um, I I thought, why not to get into that space? Yes. 
What advice do you have for any refugees settling here and waiting for fa- for their families to arrive? Oh well, I think it's it is life is tough for asylum seekers, yeah. especially at this uh, moment. A couple of things that comes uh, to my mind is I think it's easy to say stay positive, but you know you need to take some steps to stay positive. You know, I I think if you could engage or find opportunities to busy yourself. Uh, you know, visiting local libraries, local spaces. There are many, many programs that are going on uh, in your local areas. Uh, You know, local councils provide some really good uh, programs. You could be involved in that. And uh, the other thing is also looking after yourself, um, exercising and uh, making sure you have balanced diet and look after your diet. Do whatever you like. If you're into listening to music, just do that. If you're into sports, do that. Whatever you're passionate about, just follow that. In um, mm-hmm. there are many, many people that love to help. Of yep. course, there are uh, some odd people as well that don't want to, you Offer know, engage with um, yep. asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. But there are many, many people out there in the community That's right. that could help. And what advice do you have for any listeners regarding welcoming refugees and helping them into settling in Australia? I made a lot of friends, actually. I met them first time. I continued. And I think one uh, one program that really helped me find some really good friends, and we are still in contact, and we yep. are like best friends, family mm. friends, they hosted us uh, you know, as part of a program called The Healing Trail. Mm-hmm. So we had a host. You know, I had a host for a couple of nights. Yep. And uh, from there, we just became friends, and they... They had very little idea about life of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also learned a lot about life in Australia, but mm-hmm. uh, they also had an opportunity to learn about life of uh, refugees. Okay, so, yeah. And um, I think one piece of advice that I can give uh, to people is that, you know, uh, when you see uh, someone that is seeking asylum, you know, sometimes they may be shy. You can go and approach them and ask them questions that, and say that, how can I help? Mm-hmm. It's a simple question, but it you know it can change the life of asylum seeker. That's so true. Do you have any specific plans for the future? Or anything that you wish to achieve? Ah, uh, well, of course, uh, I have um, the second book. As I mentioned, I have yep. the second episode of my book. Yeah, I really want down the track to establish a place where you know a space where people come, eat, enjoy. And a community space where, you know, it's a meeting space mm-hmm. for communities to connect, yep. to learn from one another and to share whatever they want to share. Mm-hmm. That community space, that's actually my kind of a dream. Uh, I might, it might be called a community restaurant. It might be called a community space. Yep. Uh, but that is something that I really, down the track, I would really want to mm-hmm. have that. Yep. Um, what are you hoping to provide within the space? Just space and opportunity for people Talk to come to and interact yep. and to yeah. learn from one another. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll be just a catalyst, um, yep. a facilitator of that communication uh, and that dialogue um, mm-hmm. between people. And yep. um, of course, as I mentioned, it could be a community restaurant, it could yep. be community space. But my aim is to help communities run different programs from there, but also try to be uh, someone that could contribute and help communities connect with with one another. Yes, that's perfect. Thank you so so much, Asan, for coming in today. Uh, We've had the pleasure of hearing your story and, you know, getting you to 
talk just about your interesting and adventurous life. Yeah. <laughs> and we wish you the best of luck for your future plans and your second episode of your wonderful book. Thank you so much. Not yeah, a problem. thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you and good luck. You're doing a fantastic job and I think, you know, what I mentioned hopefully provide a bit of window of opportunity for people to learn about life of asylum seekers and refugees so that's our main aim also if you open up the community restaurant we'd love to come yes, and help yes yeah. Yeah. let us know i'll let you know <laughs> if you'd like to listen to more refugees on air we've got all our episodes on itunes if you just search up refugees on air also we have our facebook page which is at refugees on air sin our Instagram and Twitter are at Refugees on Air. You can chuck us a follow or a like and you'll be updated with our crazy lives. And <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>